You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull****. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Meow Show. Your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now, here's your host, Michelle Meow. Welcome, welcome, welcome. April 21st on a Tuesday, a wonderful Tuesday, because my good friend John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Hey, Michelle. Hello, John. How are you? I think Tuesdays, I think we do the best production on Tuesdays. It's certainly the best radio production I do. (laughs) I mean, I just love, you know, the energy we bring to the show. Also, our guests seem to, you know, be some of the most insightful and definitely productive, definitely there. Some some incredible guests so far on Tuesdays, which I'm excited about. Yeah, we've had some great ones. We've got good ones today, too. Yes. Before we get uh, into the show, though, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about Michelle Bachman, Beady Eyes. I have heard of her, yes. <laughs> She's back in the news. She's like a, a cockroach or something. They, they don't ever die. They don't ever go away. Now, wait a minute. You two were telling me earlier that you've actually met her. I actually have met Michelle Bachman. If people remember uh, years ago during the Republican uh, National Convention, and this was, I think, in Minneapolis, um, you know, she was walking out of out of the hotel and I, I had a press badge because I was attending a different uh, conference mm-hmm. and you know, I was just asking her a couple questions about it and, and trying to ramp up to the whole gotcha on the on the LGBTQ stuff and the gay husband thing. And then in comes this activist, you know, with a glitter bomb. <laughs> and you're like, why didn't I think of that? Right. <laughs> I would have. I, I, yeah. Who thinks of these things? I mean. I, as a kid, I, I think I played uh, with the super soaker and, and would shoot people <laughs> from behind the fence. But a glitter bomb? Yep. Genius. Anyway, she's back in the news and this time, you know, has a prediction. <laughs> the rapture is coming. What does that mean? Okay, so <clears throat> some Christians believe that, um, what is it, at the end of the world when Jesus Christ comes back, blah, 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 blah. There will all the good folks will be raptured up to heaven, and the rest of us will be left here, you know, basically fighting over their VCRs and cars mm. that they left behind. Mm. So all the good stuff's going to stay here. <laughs> well, Right Wing Watch uh, definitely got a clip of this interview she did on, a, you know, again Christian radio or whatnot. So let's let's play it really quick. It is interesting to me if you look at the president's rhetoric and if you look at his actions, everything he has done has been to cut the legs out from Israel and to lift up the agenda of radical 
Islam. Well, again, Michelle, I mean, we talked in program number one last week about some of the consequences of cursing God's land. But added to that, I mean, America has killed almost 60 million babies since 1973. And I think in June, the Supreme Court is likely going to say that gay marriage is the new law of the land. And how can God continue any kind of prosperity in America? I mean, God judged ancient Israel for similar kinds of offenses. I'm afraid that uh, some serious consequences lay ahead of us for the policies that we continue to do that violate his principles. Well, you're right. We are believers in Jesus Christ. And as we look at his word, the Bible, we believe it. We believe that it is inerrant, that God wrote it for us. And the blessings and the cursings that he speaks about in the Mm -hmm. Bible aren't true just for the day that they were written for. They're also true for all people, all tribes, in all time. And what God does for one, he does for all. He is not partial. And as God sifts us through his hands, we recognize that obedience brings about his blessing. And the United States is unique. That's our beautiful Michelle. Yeah. Did, Did you notice how she goes from saying that Barack Obama, everything he does is to uphold the radical Islamic uh, agenda. And then she goes on to say that, you know, God is going after the U.S. because of abortion and gay marriage. I don't think gay marriage and abortion are part of the radical Islamic agenda. Absolutely not. Uh, I mean, (laughs) again, you know, and the point of bringing up Michelle Bachman and and talking about, you know, the things that these people say out in the public, it's not to make fun of them. I think well, they're well, making fun of yes. <laughs> themselves. She's a self-parody. Right. And, uh, and, and I mean, even among conservative conservatives, she's she's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's the thing is I really want to stress to people out there in the world. I mean, I, I don't even think that someone like Michelle Bachman and a lot of these people who go out there in the public and say very hateful things understand what they're even saying. I actually think that they're living in some type of like fantasy world. And, it, and it's so dangerous because if you are, you know, an everyday American, a Christian, which there, again, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and you take one look at Michelle Bachman she's on TV, she's a public figure, and you listen to that, you know, and and, and then your mind starts changing. I mean, you're being deceived. Um, Yes, and I think people, both people who are Christian and who are not Christian, who are observing her, should know that she's she's a very particular kind of Christian. If you've heard of the Dominionists, Mm. she and Rick Perry, they're they're very much a, it's a Christian supremacy movement, if you will, and it, it is frankly very unbiblical, but you know, they, they are out there and they have children. Well, I guess if the rapture is here and as John said, all the good things are going to be right here. And that's right. The Michelle Meow show uh, is where all the good things will. We <laughs> are every day, even <laughs> after the rapture, we will be here. Keep tuned to this channel. Exactly. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Our guest today has just been awarded the Gilbert Baker Award by San Francisco Pride for his incredible contributions to the LGBTQ community. He is the co-founder of the Pink Triangle Installation uh, and that happens here during Pride in San Francisco and he's been doing it for about 20 years now. His dedication to commemorating the symbolic Pink Triangle and its meaning to the LGBTQ community is definitely recognized. Let's welcome Patrick Carney to the show. Patrick, welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to speak to you. 
Yes, and we've got John Zipper here of Commonwealth Club. Uh, the pink triangle was once a horrible symbol that the Nazis uh, during the Holocaust had forced LGBTQ people to sew onto their clothes. And you know, tell us why the pink triangle today, though, uh, may now be a symbol of pride. Well, the pink triangle that we put on Twin Peaks is a visible yet moot reminder of man's inhumanity toward man. We're trying to remember what the Nazis did. And the pink triangle, um, which was once used in an attempt to label and shame, has been um, usurped by the gay community as a symbol of pride. The Nazis had a series of of color triangles for their undesirables, yellow for Jews, brown for gypsies, red for political prisoners, purple for Jehovah's Witness, and pink for the gays. And um, the pink triangle was actually slightly larger than the other triangles, so the guards could identify them from a distance. And what a lot of people don't know is that the pink triangle, um, those who wore it, were actually put back in prison after the camps were liberated. For the few that survived, most of them were released except the gay prisoners. It's amazing. They were put back in prison by whom? By the U.S. occupiers or the Russian occupying forces? Well, the, the, uh, those who liberated the camps turned them over to, um, to the German authorities eventually once the um, German... Um, had people that could take over for the occupiers because paragraph 175 was still in effect, so they maintained the laws which were currently in effect. And that was that. And it wasn't until 1969 that paragraph 175 was overturned. Yeah. Patrick, uh, thanks again for for joining us, and and you know, and and thank you for reminding us also the pink triangle um, being a symbol of pride now. You know, when it wasn't a symbol of pride. It was it was horrific. But there's also significant meaning to the LGBTQ community. And, and I mean, I'm excited to have you on the show because here's the thing. Even looking back at, the, you know, the, what happened during the Holocaust, and then you think about today, and you've got people like Michelle Bachman, or you've got religious leaders who continue uh, along this path of, of hate and use something like the government or policies and even religion to to hate on people. I mean, sometimes I feel like the LGBTQ community, though we've made much progress, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the case for other people uh, around the country, or around the world well, even. Well, that's very true. One of the reasons we keep doing it is that homosexuality is illegal in 77 countries. In 38 countries in Africa alone, they criminalize homosexuality. In four of those, um, northern Nigeria, Muriatana, southern Somalia, and Sudan, the punishment is death. So we keep doing this to remind people that even though we have made great strides in this country, it's not so great in other parts of the country. So for those parts of the world, yeah. So for those of us in the Bay Area, of course, we're familiar with this. For those of our listeners who are from outside of the area. Tell us about the origin of doing the the installation and then exactly what it is, what they would see if they went to it. Well, the Pink Triangle is a one-acre display on top of Twin Peaks, a mountain in the center of San Francisco. This will be the 20th display. It started out as um, not really an educational tool because we thought everyone knew what the Pink Triangle was. We just started out to add some festivity and color to the Pride Parade. And we were in a restaurant on Market Street, and we're trying to figure out what we could do to add a little something to pride, and looked out the window and saw that big blank canvas of Twin Peaks in the distance and says, well, let's put something up there. Let's put a big pink triangle up there. 
Yeah. And it wasn't yeah. until later that we found out people didn't know what it was. Yeah, and, and still a lot of people don't know. When, uh, you know, the Pink Triangle installation happens in San Francisco during Pride season, I mean, you know, it's it's incredible. It's a Saturday morning before the parade celebration, um, 7 o'clock in the morning. But you get people uh, like the mayor. You get, you know, the sen- senator. Mark Leno has been up there. You get some, you know, political dignitaries who go up there who totally understand what this symbol means to the community. Um, you know, in my mind, Patrick, I mean, if you're going on 20 years, why not spend another uh, 20 years <laughs> if you want to um, using the pink triangle to also get to, you know, politicians like, oh, gosh, you know, uh, there's a bunch of them, all the Republican conservative ones who don't want LGBTQ people to be equal in this country. Um, it would be great if we could get some of them there to, to listen to what, what others have to say and um, hopefully enlighten some of them. Um, I don't know what chance we would have of getting a, a Michelle Bachman or a, a Senator Cruz there, or if we would even want them there. But I, I think they, they would learn a lot, and they would understand you know, a little bit of, of our history. You've uh, not only had politicians, you've had actors like Cloris Leachman show up. I mean... Over the 20 years, what were some of the particular memories you have, high points of people who, who you met through this and, and people who were moved by it? Uh, well, ironically, some of the best memories for educating others come from tourists up there. Along the top of the Pink Triangle, we put up signs to explain what it is so that when tour, tourists get off these giant tour buses, they can read the placards that we have up. And it's amazing just to stand there and silently listen to their to what they say. A lot of them say, oh, I had no idea, or I never knew that. And right there we know that our attempt to educate is actually working, because these are generally not San Franciscans. They're people from not just around the country, but around the world. And knowing that we're letting them learn a little bit is, is terrific. That's the whole goal and the whole purpose. The whole thing started out as uh, a renegade craft project. It went up in the dark of night, and so it's wonderful that it's been embraced by the city's elected officials. And if we could get even more beyond the city to embrace it as well and learn from it, that would be terrific. Do you do you fund this? Do you need money from folks to do this program, and how is it handled? Oh, always need money. Um, <laughs> it costs about. <laughs> It cost, well, let's see, it was about $11,500 last year. And and this year, for the 20th anniversary, I'm hoping to do um, illumination again, and that's about $3,000 extra. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be $14,500. And we have quite a few groups that contribute. We have um, SF Pride has been a long-term contributor, and um, Les Natale, who owns a couple of establishments in the Castro, and... um, Rick Stokes and the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. The Castro Lions Club donates a T-shirts every year. So there's a, a long list of supporters. But SF Pride acts as the fiscal sponsor. So if anyone wants to contribute toward the Pink Triangle, they can write a, a check out to SF Pride and then the Pink Triangle in the memo line. And then it will become part of our budget. That is awesome. Patrick, we're going to take a uh, quick break, but when we come back, I want to continue the discussion about the meaning of the pink triangle to the LGBTQ community and why people should give a damn. We'll be right back. Thanks 
for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do and I love the people I work with. But work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Last year, we did not get you your billion back. We got you your billions back. So many billions, we started thinking, this isn't tax season, this is refund season. And nobody gets more of your money back than Block. Guaranteed. Get your billions back, America. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, April 21st. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us today. On the phone with us is Patrick Carney. He's the co-founder of the Pink Triangle Installation. And, uh, you know, every year during Pride here in San Francisco, we put up this giant pink triangle up in Twin Peaks. Um, to remind folks, you know, of what the Pink Triangle meant to our community, uh, the hatred, really, during the Holocaust and the lives that we were lost. Uh, Patrick, you know, I think that the Pink Triangle actually should be up there for the entire year. Because, again, when we talked about it before we went on break, hatred is still there. There's still a lot of hatred. We, we, we mentioned this last week with Michael Signorelli in, in his book, in which it's like, you know, we have marriage equality now in a few states, and hopefully all 50 state, states, people are recognizing LGBTQ people more. But also we're seeing this correlation, uh, you know, with the increase of violence and hatred against LGBTQ people. What are your thoughts about making sure that the pink triangle, you know, is visible throughout the entire year, every day? Well, um, I wish there was a way to make that particular one visible every day, but I think we'll have to come up with another way, maybe um, via our website or or other pink triangle displays. We do have the wonderful and beautiful pink triangle park at um, 17th and Market Street. Uh, the one on Twin Peaks, I think we would um, get some pushback if it were there all year just because of uh, what it might do to the landscape. What we have there is, is only up for two days, and, and everything survives it. To make it permanent, 
I guess the only way we could do that would be maybe out of some, there is a pink flower that blooms in late June that could, it would be great if we had that planted and it bloomed every year. Then we wouldn't have to install the 175 tarps and the 5,000 12-inch long steel stakes. <laughs> but then it would just magically bloom. But I think there, is, there would be a lot of pushback since it's in the center of the city because there are so many things that, that could be honored up there. This is an educational tool and that's, that's why it's allowed by the city. I have to get a permit every year to do it. I'm sure the controversy would be over the top if we tried to do it all year, though I think many people would understand the reasoning for doing that. Sure, of course, you're not, you know, it's San Francisco, you're not trying to build condos there, you're trying to <laughs> do, do something <laughs> with higher value. Um, I have a question. Uh, you, you and Michelle both kind of alluded to the, the, uh, co-optation, if you will, of the triangle from this, you know, this horrific beginning to kind of a, a something that, that LGBTQ folks use. Um, how much do you think that has happened? And, and is there some point where maybe we shouldn't want to take away the stigma of it? Because it does, you know, it, it does offer you that chance to do that education about the time when, you know, people were led into concentration camps. Well, yeah, I, I don't think we want to take away the stigma completely. I think that it had been taken away somewhat. Act Up, I think, was the first group that you usurped the symbol, and they turned it upside down mm -hmm. and had the point going upward to emphasize that they had um, usurped it. And a lot of people somehow forgot its tragic origin. It wasn't until we put it up that we realized that. A, a lot of young people, maybe especially, weren't. Um, maybe they're not getting the Holocaust education that some of us got in school. Um, so it was good to remind people that there were so many different um, groups of undesirables. And it is great that the Ting Triangle is the symbol of pride these days. And we emphasize both. We start out by the program by remembering the history of the Ting Triangle. And generally, a celebrity um, gives that history as their part of the program. And then the, the festival gets um, more and more, um, well, festive. We have a band. We have upbeat music baton twirlers, hundreds of pink balloons, the pink stage, and the huge exaggerated scale and the champagne christening all help alleviate the tension of where the pink triangle come from and lead into Pride Weekend, which is all about celebration. So we try and do both the, the, the um, sad history part as well as um, where we are today. The part of understanding where we are for today for Pride Weekend 2015 is understanding where we've been. So that's mm -hmm. why we try and cover both. Patrick, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I've, I've heard from uh, some people who've criticized, right, after 45 years of pride, you know, where's the community now? Some of us have mainstreamed. It sounds like an episode of True Blood, but it's true. Some of us, you know, are living, uh, living uh, pretty uh, normal standard lives, quote unquote. And so here comes a criticism for, for San Francisco pride that it's not as political and, and it's more corporate now. Um, but when I think of the pink triangle installation, and that is also again, a part of the entire pride movement that is still very political and very emotional, you know, especially for someone like you, but how do you feel? Do you feel that, you know, it's wrong of, of our movement to come this far and accept that some of us have mainstream, uh, you know, I would love to see the 1.23 million people that San Francisco pride boasts that come, you know, all these people who come during pride, I would love to see all those people up at twin peaks. That's just not possible. Um, <laughs> but what are your feelings about, about pride and about the pink triangle installation, having done this for so many years, 20 years, uh, we mentioned, 
Has the sentiment changed? Is it growing? Well, I think one of the beauties of Pride Weekend is that it offers so many things for it, and people can choose what they want to be involved in. Um, the parade is wonderful, and even though there's um, corporations that help sponsor it, it's still very... Um, very um, local and and home and homegrown, and it's full of full of activists of, of all different political persuasion. And the Pink Triangle itself is a is a choice of things to do for Pride Weekend. It's a community building project. It's it's um, even though there's a variety of sponsors, it's still a community base. But it really does help build community to have all these people. Um, my mother's 92. We have the youngest installers that are usually about three. We have a lot of straight families. We have a lot of gay couples. We have a lot of gay families. I think that um, that's what Pride Weekend's all about. It's it's not about corporations or or mainstreamism per se. You know, there's there's all varieties, all um, all races, religions, um, sexual orientations. Everybody's there, and I, I think um, it, it it offers lots of, of choices and and participation for anyone. If people want to attend that ceremony you were talking about, what should they do? When should they be there? Do they need to plan ahead? Well, it's the um, Saturday before the parade, you know, the day before. Mm -hmm. And uh, they can go to the website, thepinktriangle.com. They have to put in thepinktriangle.com. And uh, we start installing at 7, and we finish at about 10, and that's when the ceremony starts. But they could also help put up the outline the day before. My sister and husband and I um, put up the what we call the pink V, and it's a giant, you know, one-acre V with the middle of it still um, the grassland. And then the next day, generally 100 to 150 volunteers show up to help fill in the middle with the 175 pink tarps. And then after the parade, we take it down um, at about five o'clock, and it takes. Oh, three hours to take it down. But if they can help in the morning, even for a half hour, just to, to come up and be involved, um, that would be great. And they get a pink triangle T-shirt. And we, we try and start the ceremony off. Everyone on Twin Peaks, the installers, the politicians, the celebrities, everyone's wearing a pink triangle T-shirt out of camaraderie for those who were forced to wear the pink triangle in concentration camp. But we wear ours, of course, by choice. And But we want to remember that... Um, people did actually have to wear them. Right, right. And, and Patrick, this year is a special year, 2015. I mean, it again, it's the 20th year anniversary. Um, and also, you're being awarded by San Francisco Pride. You're given the Gilbert Baker Award, which is given to, uh, you know, an individual um, who's contributed a significant amount of work to the LGBTQ community and has a historical impact. So I'm congratulations, by the way, but for this year, 2015 and, and being awarded and also, you know, celebrating 20 years, uh, do we have any celebrities confirmed yet who will show up or is there anything different that'll happen this year? You know, I've actually sent out a, a number of letters and I haven't heard back. It's kind of early. A lot of people, um, wait till later to confirm it's still, what, two months away. Um, I'm pretty sure the the elected officials, which generally come, will be there. Senator Leno, um, Senator Wiener, I'm sorry, um, Supervisor Wiener, and former Assemblyman Tom Amiano. Hopefully the mayor will make it again this year. Nancy Pelosi has been there um, twice, and she tried to come last year, but um, they had a an issue in which she couldn't leave Washington, but hopefully she'll be there for the 20th anniversary. 
Maybe Hillary Clinton will show up. I mean, now that she's 120% on board with LGBTQ people. I think she'll drive the Scooby bus out here. <laughs> Maybe well, she'll I have will, a... Go ahead. I'm I sorry. Will, and I will invite her again. I will, we'll see if that happens. I invited her when she was in the... Um, you know, when she was Secretary of State. And one year, um, when Obama's first year, I did get two calls from the um, from the White House scheduling office um, asking for more details. So um, anyway, it didn't happen that first year, and but it's worth a try. I did get a terrific letter, um, personal letter from um, Bill Clinton the first year he was out of office, and I say that we actually post it every year. And he had alerted his schedulers uh, to plan on his participation. It would have been his first um, free um, speaking engagement. You know, he initially started doing quite a few corporate things. Mm. And then he was going to come to the Pink Triangle. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. But it, it's always fun to go through that. But it's part of the, you know, the hits and misses and hits and starts. You never know what's going to happen until it actually happens. Right, right. And so, Patrick, the rumor is that after this year, um, you might be retiring. Is that a rumor? Or? Um, you know, it's the first time I've heard that rumor. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, uh, that's awesome. That's, I'm glad to hear that because you know, my, my, it was going to be a weird, awkward question of, but no, I mean, you've been doing this for 20 years. Who's going to, you know, I'm sure of it that if you were thinking of retiring, you'd have someone lined up, but we have to keep this pink triangle going. I want it every day of the year. <laughs> Absolutely. We have to keep doing it. And I have so many relatives, cousins, nieces, nephews, everyone who come to help. And so many local people come every year. Um, I don't know how rumors get started. Maybe someone giving a subtle hint. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, I, I think I, rumors get started when uh, Michelle starts them on the radio. So uh, <laughs> I will, uh, no. good thing I nipped it in the butt early. Yes, yes. No, it, you know what it is, is that every time you hit a milestone, yeah. every, you know, people start looking at you like you're just a little bit older. But I think that, you know, the, the, the behind that all is just to say, wow, Patrick Carney has really given the community so much. And by doing this, and again, it, it's volunteer base, as you said, um, we're running out of time, Patrick, but again, um, um, you know, for people who want to find out more information about the Pink Triangle installation and want to support, they, there's a website they can go to, right? Yes, thepinktriangle.com. Be sure and check it out. Patrick, thanks again for joining us here today, and congratulations on that award. Oh, thank you. Thank you all. Nice speaking with you both. The Michelle Miao Show continues after this. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll discuss Louisiana. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years. And uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody. 
and that's just kind of the attitude and the the, uh, the ethics of Oasis. Is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know. You know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true. You know what I mean? Like I walk in there and. And I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time. So you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it. I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude, um, just to entertain people. And so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Yep. So, yeah, I just feel so much stronger and more confident when you're here. Mm, no, you, you do this thing <laughs> every day of the week. I'm just here for one. Oh, you know, okay, so... Uh, before I introduce our next guest, we were talking about the pink triangle and its meaning to our community, the LGBTQ community. And obviously to me, it's a symbol of hate. And unfortunately, you know, the hate has continued. I mean, it's still here with us today and we're reminded um, by it all the time. Um, and so our next guest, you know, just last week, Governor Bobby Jindal of Louisiana told reporters that opponents of, of mar the Marriage and Conscience Act have misperceptions and misunderstandings about the bill. He stated that the bill is designed to protect Christians who morally oppose marriage equality. He also went further to say that the bill prevents state government from denying any resident or business a license, benefits, or tax deductions because of actions taken against an individual or business in accordance with religion. So... Okay, that sounds like a whole lot of discrimination and a basket full of BS, in my opinion. Also, a little, uh, you know, spoonful or tablespoons of, of hate. But let's ask our guests. Here to discuss with us the state of Louisiana and LGBTQ equality is Matthew Peterson. He is the policy director for Equality Louisiana. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, hi, thanks for having me. Uh, I should mention it's Patterson, though. Oh, Patterson. Google, right? <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. Matthew Patterson. Patterson, not Peterson. Um, so, Matthew, you know, the Marriage and Conscience Act, or HB 707, is it another religious freedom bill? Yeah, it's, this one is a little bit interesting because it's written differently from the bills that were proposed in Indiana or Arkansas, but it's very obviously meant to have the same effect as those bills. Um, they're, they're trying to put one over on people a little bit um, by pitching the bill the way they are. Um, but if you actually read the text, it would enable every, every kind of discrimination that those bills would have enabled, this one also will, basically. 
Uh, now, I, I read somewhere that Louisiana already has a Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Is, is They're just, like, doubling down on it? What's the point of this one? So, it's kind of interesting. This, this gets us into some really bizarre legal history. Um, the federal government has something called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act mm-hmm. that is basically meant to ensure that when somebody brings a religious freedom claim in federal court that the courts apply a very strict standard when they judge whether government action has infringed on somebody's religious practices. Um, a lot of states have parallel versions of that that are designed to make sure that when you bring a claim in state court, the state courts um, also use the same strict standard when judging cases like that. Like an example would be, you know, if somebody is trying to reserve, let's say, a public park for a church picnic or something, and the local authority denies their reservation but allows the Catholic Church down the street to reserve the same park for the same thing. It's those kinds of cases that those laws were meant to um, affect, uh, cases where a, gov- a direct government action is you know, directly and meaningfully infringing on somebody's religious practices. And that's, what, that's the kind of law that Louisiana already has on the books. Several dozen states already have these. There were sort of popular to pass um, starting in the late 90s. Um, what Indiana and Arkansas were trying to do was take this a step further so that now those, the bills that were pushed forward in those states wouldn't have just affected um, something where the government was directly involved in infringing on somebody's religious practice. They were trying to make it so that a business or any kind of private entity um, could assert the same sort of religious freedom claim in any kind of lawsuit brought by anybody. So if I fight, if I don't know, I don't want to serve you at my restaurant because I think you're gay or mm-hmm. you appear to me to be sort of girly or too mannish, um, I could say, well, my religious practice doesn't allow me to serve you and use that as an absolute defense in a lawsuit. Um, nobody has that on the books right now. That is something that is very, very new um, and very pernicious. Michelle Miao here. We're speaking with Matthew Patterson. He's the policy director for Equality Louisiana. We're having a discussion about the state of Louisiana and uh, LGBTQ equality. Matthew, it's interesting to me because the wording of HB 707 is extremely tricky, and Governor Jindal seems to be doing a great job playing with those words to manipulate people, in my opinion. I mean, opponents of equality are discriminating, period. And here he is saying that it's not a discriminatory bill. Uh, But, I mean, who has a conscience here? Would it be religious leaders or, uh, you know, politicians or or no one? Uh, Well, this is the part where um, Governor Jindal and the bill's author, Representative Johnson, are counting on people not actually reading the text of the legislation. Because what the bill says is that the state cannot take any adverse action against somebody who acts based on their religious beliefs about marriage. Now, that sounds innocent at first, but then you start thinking, wait, so if a business denies service to somebody because of their religious beliefs about marriage, the state cannot intervene to remedy that act of discrimination or prevent future discrimination. You're saying that if a charter school, and in Louisiana we love our charter schools, if a charter school denies admission to the child of same-sex parents because of religious beliefs about marriage, the state literally cannot make them accept that child um, into what is essentially a public school. Um, the, the state is not able, again, to remedy or prevent acts of discrimination. If a doctor refuses to treat the child of same-sex parents, um, the state licensing board can't do anything about it. Uh, if 
any other kind of licensed professional. Like, suppose I hired a contractor to build a house for me and my partner, and he didn't want to work for us. Uh, we couldn't do anything to his, about his licensing. We couldn't, any of the regulatory bodies that are supposed to oversee these things would be powerless to prevent that kind of discrimination. So, the, so the, that's the that's the effect this bill is really meant to have, right? So, it, but it, it's I mean, this is a totally political thing because I mean, has there been a rash of Louisiana government agencies uh, taking retaliatory measures against anybody who has has uh, discriminated against uh, gays and lesbians? Well, I would say that retaliatory is really the wrong, wrong sort of way to talk about it. It's not as if somebody got mad for trying to punish you or trying to ensure that everybody has full access. You know, to all facets of yeah, but life. What, what I'm saying is, this hasn't happened, has it? Oh Lord, no! I mean, my goodness, this is Louisiana. We don't have a statewide employment discrimination law that includes sexual orientation or gender identity. We don't have a statewide public accommodations law that protects those things. The cities of New Orleans and Shreveport have local ordinances that include those things. But if you live outside there, there are very there are very few legal protections on the books for you. I think Louisiana and San Francisco could maybe do like an exchange. We don't have any Republicans here, and you don't seem to have any Democrats there. We could just kind of do a cultural exchange of some of them. Um, on, on a serious level, uh, this uh, uh, representative who uh, who proposed this, Representative Mike Johnson. He actually says this bill will actually protect anyone, including people who support same-sex marriage and, you know, fear that they might have upset somebody in government. So, actually, it's it's a neutral bill. What do you say to that? Um, again, I think if you go to the bill text, I just don't think that's true. What this bill says is that religious beliefs regarding marriage would receive extra protections over and above some other set of religious or moral beliefs. So this doesn't protect everybody, this just protects people who, you know, care that much about this thing. Um, the representative has also proposed a slate of amendments, which have not been adopted yet because they would have to be voted on, but they're available for public view, and he has announced that the amended bill is the one that he wants to see passed. Uh, one of the amendments he's proposed actually makes it even worse because it wouldn't be any religious view regarding marriage. It would only protect actions taken based on the religious view that marriage is only between a man and a woman. So it literally, the amended bill would only protect actions taken by people who have the religious belief that gay marriage is wrong. It would single out that one belief uh, as worthy of you know, protection or extra benefits or whatever, and everything else would be left out. It's, it's not only uh, protecting one interpretation out of religion. Obviously, there are many Christians who have no problem with gay marriage or act actively campaign for it. But, I mean, is anyone arg arguing there that this grants rights to groups of people who happen to have or at least claim religious values? But why shouldn't a, an atheist have the right to, I guess, discriminate based on their views? Well, this is well. It's interesting. The bill, the, the bill has actually tried to get around that. Every everywhere it says religious, it tries to say religious or moral belief. Uh -huh. You know, it's, which is actually sort of a, again sort of a new thing in in law legal circles. There's not exactly a well established interpretation of what that could mean, but it's again trying to give just enough wiggle room to say, oh well, this is meant to be about everybody. And sure. as long as you don't read the bill, you might think that. So, can you give us kind of a, a political uh, roundup of what the status is? Um, I read the the Senate president there in Louisiana is not in favor of this. There's obviously some pushback from big companies, IBM and others. What what is the, if you will, the the battleground layout right now of this comp this thing? So, we are waiting on a committee hearing to be scheduled for this bill. 
Um, we know what committee it will be assigned to, but they don't do schedules more than a few days in advance, so we may not get too terribly much warning before the hearing happens. Um, so right now the focus is on obviously trying to defeat the bill at that stage because it'll be much easier. It's always sort of much easier to kill, kill right. something in committee than if it gets the if it gets some support and gets out to the floor. Um, we are. Equality Louisiana is working on recruiting local businesses and local chambers of commerce to speak up. Um, we have done, well, before the legislative session started, obviously, we did several actions trying to get the bill authored just to withdraw it to avoid um, the catastrophe that we're now seeing and that we saw happen in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also, we've done actions um, asking the chair of the committee that will hear it to ask for the bill to be pulled. Um, as time goes on, we're obviously going to be getting people to call uh, and email committee members and ask them to vote against it. Um, and things like, you know, the statement from IBM, the statement from Electronic Arts, the uh, local elected officials who send that against it, all of that helps give people the cover they need to vote no on this bill. Mm-hmm. Matthew, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'd love to continue and, and talk to you about, you know, the strategy, the campaign. I know that Equality, Equality Louisiana is also involved um, in something I want to talk about, the Not My Louisiana campaign. We haven't talked about the people of Louisiana and if they even want this. So stay with us. Yeah, absolutely. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Last year, we did not get you your billion back. We got you your billions back. So many billions, we started thinking, this isn't tax season, this is refund season. And nobody gets more of your money back than Block. Guaranteed. Get your billions back, America. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do and I love the people I work with, but work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. 
Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host, and here with us is John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. On the phone is Matthew Patterson. He's the policy director for Equality Louisiana, and we are discussing the state of Louisiana as far as LGBTQ rights. I know that there is another bill, the Marriage and Conscience Act. I mean, just the name of it just makes me cringe because it just seems like so everyone else doesn't have a conscience. <laughs> Only religious leaders do in Louisiana. Matthew, you know, right before we went on break, I mentioned the Not My Louisiana campaign, I think it's very fair to say that just because politicians like the uh, governor, Bobby Jindal, you know, supports this bill, doesn't mean that maybe the people want this. Um, can we talk a little bit about that campaign? Yeah, so um, just after, uh, yeah, just after the bill was introduced, um, Equality Louisiana, along with Louisiana Progress, uh, statewide progressive advocacy group, and Louisiana Trans Advocates, the statewide transgender advocacy and support network, um, launched the Not My Louisiana campaign. And this is a campaign we're using to help get individual people and community organizations involved and on the record as being against this bill. Um, one of the things I always try to emphasize is that our people are just far, far ahead of our politicians on most LGBT issues. Um, we have done statewide polling on a number of different uh, LGBT-related questions in the past couple of years. Um, and what's fascinating to me and kind of heartening is that no matter what we ask about, whether it's employment protections or protections against bullying in schools or whether people should be able to be denied service at a restaurant or some other public place because of being transgender, um, the vast majority of the state uh, is on our side. Nobody thinks you should be fired from your job because you're gay. Nobody thinks you should be denied service at a restaurant because you're perceived to be gay or trans. It's just not a value that we have down here, no matter what our legislature or our governor seem to think. And it's so just not my Louisiana campaign is a way for people to publicly demonstrate that that's not the state they want to see. That's great. And that is uh, incredible news. I mean, obviously, we also saw that with Indiana, uh, you know, with people who talk, understand, fully understand how this bill can discriminate. You know, something like this brings uh, or reminds me back in, you know, during the big marriage equality fight before we started changing people's minds, um, you know, when they said, let's stop saying same-sex marriage or calling it that, let's call it marriage equality. And then all of a sudden it, it really did hit home for a lot of people and, and voters. I'm wondering with these religious freedom bills, if organizations like Equality Louisiana actually talk about those things, you know, like should we change the dialogue in any way in order to educate people? But it sounds like people already know, they already, they already get it that this kind of bill is discriminating, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, and I, um, I, mean, I try to be optimistic about this, it's because if you put the question to people, if you just you know, ask them in isolation, should somebody be fired from their job because they're gay? Almost everybody is going to tell you no, they shouldn't, because that has nothing to do with how you do your job. Should somebody be denied service at a restaurant because they're gay? No, because if you, as long as you behave, you shouldn't be asked to leave any public place. Like every, at heart, people instinctively want to say that no, that shouldn't matter. It's when they get confused or led astray with all these other, you know, elaborate ploys about religious freedom and somebody is coming to take that away from you that they get scared or nervous or, or what have you. But if you just ask people in isolation, do you think discrimination is right? Almost everybody will tell you no. And so what we have to try to do a lot of the time is remind people that, oh, yes, that's what this means, and I really don't think that's okay. So the people are convinced or convincible. What about your governor? Bobby Jindal, of course, uh, 
potential presidential candidate for the Republicans in 2016. Uh, how does he react? You know, I mean, when we saw in Indiana, the governor there, a very conservative governor, backed down basically when when he, he was confronted with everyone rising up against him, businesses, uh, other groups. What does Bobby Jindal do? I mean, has he had other other things like this where you look at it and it's like he recognizes political reality or does he just do a George W. Bush and keep on going? You know, it's interesting. After IBM wrote him a letter urging him not to support this bill, he wrote them a letter back um, explaining very patiently that IBM has simply misread the bill and does not actually understand what it will do. And he's sure that once they read it correctly, they will agree with him that this bill is necessary. Um, it was... It, my jaw dropped when I read that. I'm, I'm really just astonished. Um, I, Governor Jindal has been checked out for quite some time. I think it's fair to say he spent almost as much time out of Louisiana in 2014 as he spent in the state, and I'm sure he's on track to match or break that record this year. Um, we have our gubernatorial elections in odd number of years, so our election to, for his successor is actually this fall. So he is very much focused on the next stage of his career right now. Um, and as far as anything going on in this state, whether it's our $1.6 billion budget gap or, you know, any kind of public opposition to this bill, he's, I, I wish I could say this differently. I wish I could make this sound softer or more diplomatic, but Bobby Jindal does not particularly care what is good for Louisiana at this point. Um, Bobby Jindal is looking to make himself a viable national candidate. Very, very, very well said. I think that that's a great end to our conversation here for a lot of people who, you know, don't know, you know, what's going on with Louisiana, but also and that incredible campaign that Equality Louisiana was a part of, which is, you know, that's not my Louisiana. I, I think that that's wonderful. The great work that you guys do um, to support uh, Equality Louisiana. You can head to equalityla.org to find out more information or again to, to support them. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us here. Yeah, thank you for having me. You, it, it's it's a uh, you know that pretty much it, state by state we've been covering. Again, what, what do we start with? Like Arkansas, Alabama. I mean, it goes on Indiana, North Carolina, and here we are um, with Louisiana, a state that's in incredible debt. And you heard it, right? One point six billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and and I hate to say it, but I mean, if you're the governor and you're a Republican, Governor Jindal, I mean, you obviously had a hand in that somehow. And you, you're over here promoting a bill that's going to, what, protect <laughs> a handful of people? If he's planning on running in 2016, he has to get the conservative, the ultra conservatives who come out in the primaries to vote for him. And therefore, he needs to not have any sort of a, you know, backdrop, you know, backing down on a core issue, you know, he's just got to be hardcore. Um, Esquire, of all people, as I was reading about uh, Governor Jindal, <laughs> they did this whole thing like, who is this guy? Who is Governor Jindal, right? Who uh, the Republicans had been promoting at one point that was supposed to be the darling, the new darling of the party. And they were doing some inside story on him. And this guy, you know, uh, I think he was on... I think it was Jay Leno who embarrassed him. I mean, he got his name Bobby, uh, you know, because of his favorite character in The Simpsons. Um, yeah, because his real name is like, you know, an Indian name. His, mm-hmm. his parents immigrated here from India. Um, but wealthy parents, you know, one being a doctor or engineer and, and business people. And so it's like 
I think that Esquire, if I could quote that article, had mentioned that here's this guy who looks in the mirror and sees a white guy. And he's, you know, obviously <laughs> Indian Asian, right? And and he became a Roman Catholic after falling in love with this chick in college who was blonde, blue-eyed, and super Catholic. <laughs> and, I mean, anyway, if just to give Americans an idea of, you know, I don't even think Governor Jindal has his own identity. And he's kind of just absorbing whatever it is that his party wants. And here he is trying to be a hero again with this silly bill um, that's not going to do, do anything for anyone. Right. In a state that already is under the National Religious Freedom Restoration Act, already has a statewide Religious Freedom Restoration Act. This is just a Bobby Jindal primary restoration act. I mean, that's ridiculous. All right. So I guess you guys get it. I mean, by listening to the show, you you should know by now that these bills are just fluff. Uh, You know, what we need is federal full protections for LGBTQ people. Um, In fact, I had just read today in The Advocate that, you know, because we have marriage equality and that's going to put more exposure on gay and lesbian couples, you know, people who actually get married, that means your company will know now, you know, that you're in, uh, in, you're married to, you're gay, basically, right? Which then means you can be fired for that because in 28 states or so, it's still legal to be fired. So in some states, get married, that's wonderful, that's legal, but you could be fired tomorrow. Well, and it's not just going to be, oh, passing this, say, a a non-discrimination workplace act. It's, yes, they can also fire you for some other trumped up reason where the real reason is that you're gay and they just don't want you around. Um, can I offer one bit of good news so you don't depress everybody? Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that news story about the uh, car repair shop in Michigan? Yeah. Yeah, they came out, forgive the phrase, uh, and said, you know, you know what? If you're obviously gay, we don't want you here. We're not going to fix your car, you know, because mm-hmm. only straight guys can fix cars. Um, <laughs> and so they also then set up a GoFundMe campaign just like that uh memories pizza yeah and they got zero dollars and they had to take it down (laughs) oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to laugh that that much (laughs) that was funny um okay so i i i want to add to that before we end the show so michelle bachman we started the show michelle bachman went on some radio shows so the rapture is coming so i think i know that rapture I, i understand it now the definition the bay area is supposed to have a super storm soon and it's coming and and california or you know the the report is saying that you know in california especially northern california is not prepared for it i don't think anyone's prepared for the rapture or that (laughs) um i think whenever anyone hears michelle bachman or anyone else talk about the rapture they should just think of the blondie song and that'll make him smile. Uh, uh, I like the story of Bobby Jindal and naming, renaming himself Bobby from a character of The Simpsons. <laughs> I got to go ask my nail lady, where did you get your name Linda or Kim? Because, you know, I know that wasn't your name. Well, I think he came this close to being called, you know, Sideshow Bob Jindal. <laughs> Oh, the show. Wow. I, again, that's just, 
this is why I love doing the show. I mean, it's great to also have big open dialogue about the LGBTQ community, but because I love John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. By the way, you can catch all of our shows with John Zipper uh, at commonwealthclub.org. He's here every Tuesday. And the show is on Monday through Friday at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time here on the Progressive Voices Network. For everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com. I'd like to give thanks to our guests who participated today and also to our sponsor, Pacific Fertility Center. Until tomorrow, my friends, at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Don't be late. It's Michelle Meow with the Michelle Meow Show. Tune into the Michelle Meow Show weekdays at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern on Progressive Voices.